Praise God. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians, the third chapter, Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin to read. I'm not going to read long passages today, um, but I want to read Ephesians 3, 14 through 16, and then I want us to read from Genesis. And this is the word of the Lord. It says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the light of truth and guidance that comes through it. Lord, we're surrounded by a confusion in a lost world that's fallen in sin and in darkness and is separated from you. But your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we ask, God, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds today, God, that we would know you better. We invite your holy presence here today to guide us and to speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, these are short, basic passages, some might call them proof texts, right? Little verses that you can quote that point to greater truths that can't just be held in a few words, but uh, are really part of the fabric of all of Scripture, the message that we find throughout the whole of the Scriptures. Um, but these truths uh, speak to something that I want to share today, and um, I'm going to be candid with you. Um, this is not the first time I've shared this message. Uh, I've shared this message on previous occasions, and I actually heard the message years ago uh, from a preacher who came and preached to us in our home church in Kentucky, and it deeply impacted me, and I felt like there was great wisdom in it. So I'm giving uh, credit where credit is due. This is something that I learned and something that I've shared previously, but it's not stale because it's, it has to do with eternal truth. And the first truth that I want to bring out of these passages is that God, the great creator father, has a, div a divine plan and a divine design that he wove into creation. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 1, uh, you see that God is creating order out of chaos. He's speaking light into darkness, and into the void, he puts fullness. And he, day after day, uh, makes a creation that goes from one glory to the next, day after day. And the crown of that creation is humanity. 
that's the crown. That's the pinnacle of the creation. And I could explain to you in deep and profound ways, simple ways, just the simple thing that that's the, that's the end of the process, and I could go into the, the profound truths that are woven into Genesis chapter 1 that, uh, fr quite frankly, uh, humanists and atheists uh, belittle uh, really to their own spiritual impoverishment because this chapter is subtle and rich and powerful in ways that are really, really beyond us. But very simply put, uh, the sixth day of creation is the pinnacle of creation and God has been speaking day after day. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other thing. But when he gets to day six, he says, I'm going to create humankind in my image and I'm going to give them lordship over all creation and then literally he breaks into song God sings and that verse that I just read verse 27 when you read it in the in the Hebrew it's very clearly poetry that indicates God is singing and it and and here it says he made he made humanity in the image of God and he made them male and female. Now I'm going to say a very simple thing and that is God can do anything. God can do anything. God could have spoken just like he spoke the stars and whoop, they were all there. He could have spoken that about humanity. He could have created every human being, every human being that ever lived and was going to live, he could have made like the angels. He could have made us, every single one of us, directly created beings. But he chose not to do that. He chose, in his wisdom, as part of the lordship and part of the image of God that he put in every human being, he chose to make us co-participants with him in the act of creation. And in so doing, he created what we call procreation. He created us with the ability, as a race, the human race, he created us with the ability to bring into this world a being that was also made in God's image and that would also live forever. That makes nuclear power look like a pop gun. That is astounding power. That he would create us in such a way that we reflect his image so profoundly that we also participate with him in bringing about beings like unto ourselves made in his image that can glorify him and will exist forever. That's astounding. Now the way he did this was not that we would, each one of us on our own, be able to bring forth such a being. He could have done that too if he wanted to, but he didn't. He made us male and female so that no single person could do it on their own. But only through, in his divine plan, union and love between two who are 
the same in the sense that they're both made in the image of God, but are different one from the other, so that they wouldn't only be inward focused, they would be outward focused, and appreciate something outside themselves and other than themselves, God created us male and female. Now, I'm gonna, I, I could go on and on about this, but I'm simply going to say this in light of the truths that we've already read. This is the most fundamental calling that any human being has. Now, in the scriptures, there are levels of calling. There are all sorts of callings. In the New Testament, it tells us that in one sense, every Christian is called. We're all called to the Lord. Right? The Apostle Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, he talks to the Corinthians, he says, when you were called, not many were noble, not, not many were of importance, not many, but God chose you. He's speaking to every single Christian. In, in one sense, every single Christian is called. And then there are then there are other levels of calling. You can be called through a, a certain gifting that God has given you to serve in a certain capacity of the church. It doesn't mean that you don't do other work, but in light of the community of God, God has a purpose for you, and, and there's a level of calling to that. And then there are other callings that are more, that are more um, shall we say, invasive one's life. They demand your whole life, your whole time. Full-time ministry, or what we would call vocational ministry. So there are a lot of different callings. <coughs> Excuse me, but the one calling that is fundamental, that is a calling from God, is that God has called each one of us to be either male or female. That's a gift from God. And with that gift comes certain responsibility. Sadly, we live in an age to, to the, where the, the point is there's so much rebellion at a level of our society where people are rebelling even against that fundamental calling, which would never be questioned before. Now people are, people were, first they rebel against the idea of ministry, then they rebel against the idea that anybody would acknowledge God at all, serve God at all, and now they're rebelling against even the fingerprints of God within their own being. But this is a calling, and it's a gift. That's what's, that's what's terrible. That's what's terrible about every rebellion against God. Every rebellion against God is a rejection of a good that he has for us. Not of a bad, but of a good. And this is a good. God has this calling. And it is crucial for God's purposes and plans, eternal plans, for humanity. Now, these roles, these plans are roles that we play, purposes that he has. So God, God creates us male or female, not as, as, as an end, like, what? that's it, and your calling is simply to be that. No, that's the beginning. And through the life that God gives us, however short or long it is, we have a role to play. And this to really understand this, this speaks, and this, this goes to the question where people say, well, um, I'm not a father, or I'm not a mother, um, that, that my life just didn't work out that way, so I guess this doesn't apply to me. Wrong. Incorrect. 
Without malice, I say that's an error, but it is an error. And this is why. The word here that we have to understand is image. God says, I create them in my image. And each one of us are also made not only in the image of God, but we're made, each one of us, are made in the image of either Adam or Eve. Now for us, the idea of image or copy is something because of just technology and the way our society and culture goes, we think that's a lesser thing. Like you say copy, that's kind of like inferior or two-dimensional or superficial in some way. But that's not the idea of image or copy in the scriptures. In the scriptures, image or copy is profound. It is multidimensional. It is deep. It is an exact representation. It's an imprint. And so that, that every woman here is a copy of Eve, and that every man here is a copy of Adam, means something very powerful and profound. And it doesn't matter what the specifics of one person's life are or aren't. Because God is looking at us as a, as a collective. Is everybody following me? So everybody here that's a man is an Adam made after the image of God. And every, every woman here is an Eve that is made after the image of God. And together we represent God before heaven and earth and all eternity as long as time endures. Now there are roles that go with this. There are roles. Let's talk about what those, what those roles are. In human society, and, and people have rightly said the first institution God ever implemented was the family, right? He created the family. Before even the church, incidentally. Um, you have roles. So let's talk about mother first. The role of a mother, I, I remember, <laughs> you know, I remember when I was a freshman in college, I took biology. I was going to be an art student, so I did as little science as possible. And I took biology. And the, the time came to study the reproductive systems of men and women. And so I had my notes studying for an exam. And the man, the whole, the whole rundown of the man's reproductive system was about five lines. It was, this was my sheet. It was like this long. Then came the woman's reproductive system. It was about that long. The woman is created. It's fascinating when you read how, what are the verbs that, that are used to describe the creation of Adam and God made him from the clay of the earth and then how God created Eve from Adam's rib. The verb for man, Adam, male, is that God squeezed him together. Just imagine clay, digging clay out of the earth and, you know, there you go. Got it. There he is. When God created Eve, it says she was finely crafted. She was finely crafted. She's at a whole different level. From the top of her head to the soles of her feet, 
she is about this. Again, I'm talking about a societal level. I'm talking about here the function that God has. Everything within a woman is about nurture. Women are natural nurturers. They have, they have a, a, an emotional makeup. And people, people slam all day long. Well, women are emotional. Yeah, thank God they are. Thank God that they have that more emotional leaning because there's a tenderness. I've seen this over and over again. Over the years in my own family, I've seen it with, in a pastoral setting, that kids... You know, especially when they're young, this is the key. When they're young, kids go through something, and the dad's like, oh, you'll be all right. And the mom's like, no, you know, and she's a nurturer. She's, she picks up, she senses things that a father just can't sense as easily. Right? I'm not saying a father can't nurture. I'm not saying that a father doesn't have nurture in him. I'm saying that the tendency is that women are more the nurturers. And this is especially true at the younger ages. When a child is very young, this, is, this has been the pattern of humanity over, over the millennia. Is that you have, you have father, mother, the father is the hunter, or he's the gatherer, he's the defender, he's the breadwinner, and the mother is the one who's nurturing the children, who's raising the children up, who's, who's in charge of the care of the children, especially at the younger age. How many think that's okay? How many think that's good? I think that's good. That's a pattern. That, that has to do with who we are, not just who we do. Those, what we do, those aren't, those aren't just emotional, uh, uh, how do I say it? Those aren't just uh, artificial uh, things that were invented by society, and we need no. That that that's that's what that's what they're trying to say to us today. That's what our society is trying to say to us today. Oh no, it doesn't need to be that way. Somebody came up. That was a patriarchal society years ago. Somebody invented that and saddled women with that, and that's not really what it's about. It it, it, it can be any way. That's not true. It has to do with how God made woman, and God made woman very, very well. Thank you very much. And that's how she functions. So what does the father do? Well, I've already talked a little bit about what the father does. But here's a key to understanding. You see, well, it seems like the woman's got all the thing, and the guy just goes out and earns the living. What does, what do, does the father have any direct input in the child's life, or is it all indirect because he's providing or protecting or whatever, and really the woman's doing it? Yes. The father has a direct input. And this generally, again, generally happens later on as the child is more of an adolescent and is getting to be to the point where it's starting to think more like an adult, whether it's a boy or a girl, is starting to think about leaving the house. It's at that point that the father's role, direct role, becomes more and more prominent. And that role, listen, listen closely, has to do with imparting identity. It's the father is the one who imparts the identity. It's not by mistake that the father gives his name to the child. Because it has to do with imparting identity. But it goes a lot deeper than that. It has to do with affirming the child. Look, look back. Think about how Isaac and the whole blessing uh, on, on Jacob and Esau. And there's a lot going on in that story I don't don't want to go into, but the point is this impartation of blessing has to do with an impartation of identity. 
so you can have some. This is why men and women need to work together. It's God's ideal plan for men and women. Because we, a child stepping out into the world is a child who has a sense of being nurtured, being loved, being cared for. But also a child who knows who they are and is secure in who they are. I remember I had a relationship with a girl. She was a Christian girl before I met Patty. And it was, it was a wholesome relationship. It was a courtship relationship. It lasted about a year and a half. It didn't work out, thank God. But I remember when I broke up with this girl. And I was living in Kentucky. My mom was living in Indiana. My parents had divorced. My mom was living in Indiana. My dad was living in New Mexico. And I called him in order. Mom, then dad. So I called my mom. And she was, oh, honey, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And, and, and I, I, you're just really on my heart. And, you know, I'm very concerned about you. Are you doing okay? Are you eating okay? Are you sleeping okay? Is everything, you know, this is how she talked to me. And I, I it, it helped. It's good to talk to mom, you know. I was talking to mom. She made me feel better. Then I called my dad. I called my dad, and he goes, well, David, good. <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't smart enough for you anyway. You know, God's got something better for you, and you're going to be fine. And I needed to hear that, too. I needed to hear from my dad. Those two things together functioned to bring about a whole in me. So there is this balance that is going on. It's not to say that the mother can't impart identity and doesn't impart identity. And it's not to say the father doesn't nurture, like I said. But these things, these are, these are emphasis. The woman leans toward nurture. The father leans toward identity. These two things work Together. That's God's ideal plan. And one of the things that's beautiful is God's purpose is that there be what we call redundant systems. So there's grandparents and there's uncles and there's brothers and there's sisters. And these different things, the, the different characters all play in. And so that's, that's why, you know, it could be that somebody, did, you know, isn't, they're like, well, biologically I'm, I haven't been a father. But, but spiritually you've played the role. You see this, why? Because of image. Because the image of Adam, the first father, is in every man. And the image of Eve, the first mother, is in every woman. Now, those are great truths. But I, I want to go beyond this and I want to talk about the Lord. Because these truths are reflections of deep and profound spiritual truths. You see... The story of the human race and the story, the micro story of every family, every individual family and every extended family, every one of them is like a, a protracted, illustrated sermon, right? It's an illustrated sermon of God's purposes in the world. It's a demonstration of God's purposes in the world. So when you have grandparents helping their children and, 
and helping their children's children. And, you, and I see that happening in the church. And not to pick on David and Sam, but David and Sam are expecting, yay, you know. And so they're, like, I look at them and they're like this living, illustrated sermon of God's purposes over and over again. And the devil, oh, I hate that. And, you know, here's David and Sam. They're just quiet, sweet. They're just sticking their finger right in the devil's eye, you know. Bam, you know, because God's got this purpose. God's got this thing that he's playing out. So here's the thing. Paul says this in Ephesians 3.14. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And here, the ESV, this is the version I typically preach out of. Uh, the straight translation says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And there's a footnote that says, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. That's the one I chose to read. The word in Greek is patria. Patria. It, it, it means fatherhood. He's saying all fatherhood, the very idea of fatherhood is derived from the fatherhood of God. So the whole idea, that everything that I've been talking about, what fatherhood is about, doesn't originate with us. It originates with God and who God is. And that image is passed on to us. Again, we're made in the image of God. We're made in God's image. And how we live out our lives is reflective, even imperfectly, even with our fallen state. It's reflective of God's perfect purposes in our life. God is Father. He is the ultimate and original Father. Now, something needs to be said here. Quoted the verse earlier when we are in worship. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is pure spirit. So God is not human like we are. Now, God became a man in Jesus, but God Almighty, the eternal Father, is neither male nor female in the strict sense because he's pure spirit. Is everybody tracking with me on that? And there are passages that do talk about the motherhood of God, right? That he's that he wants to gather his children like like a hen, and and that he 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 holds them close to himself. Some of the names of God, actually, El Shaddai, for example, is actually a, a, a feminine expression of who God is. That he's that he's he's like a comforting mother. But there's no question, overwhelmingly. The emphasis is on the fatherhood of God. God is described as father over 400 times in the New Testament alone. He's named as father. So that's the emphasis. And then you say, well, then who's the mother? Well, I'm going to tell you who the mother is. The church is the mother. This is an image that the church has had of itself from the very beginning. That the church is as the mother. God is as the father. So how do those things play out? How do, how do we understand that the church uh, is mother, and how, what, does that, what does that mean for us as the church, and that God is father? Well, let, let, me, let me talk about mother first, as I did before. When somebody is new in the faith, or somebody is immature in the faith, when I say new in the faith, we immediately start thinking time, like they just came to the Lord within what period of time. What we're really talking about here is 
is somebody who's immature in the faith. Maybe they're hurting, going through difficult things. Um, the church gathers around in, it, in God's plan and nurtures. When I first came uh, to the Lord, um, and I mentioned, this, uh, I mentioned this last week, I came to the Lord in August of 1979, but I didn't, I didn't really get into a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until the spring of 1983. So, you know, about three and a half years. And it was then I experienced church as mother for the first time. I was in the fellowship of people, and I want to tell you, I, just, I walked into the church, I was like I was walking three feet off the ground. Everybody around me was godly, everybody around me was smiling, everybody around me was wonderful, everybody around me. I was walking into a community of faith and love and, and, and worship that I had never experienced before in my life. I had never been around that concentration of people who were loving and who, who, who believed God and were looking to God, like all in one place. I'd never experienced anything like it. And I had a, just a profound sense of what the church is, and I felt nurtured, I felt cared for. Every step that I took, there was somebody there that was encouraging me, even if they didn't even mean to, but they were encouraging me. They, they made me feel better about myself. They made me feel safe. And so that, those were my first steps. And those, those days were crucial to get me on my feet to teach me how to worship, teach me how to pray, teach me how to read the Bible, teach me how to witness and share my faith, faith with others. These were all very important steps. So, so the church is about nurture. The church is about giving birth, you know, because we're the mother collectively. That's God's role for us. I could go on and on about that. So for the early stages of my walk, and I think other people can bear witness to it in their own life, the church has a very, very directly important role. People, basically new believers, relate to God through their experience in the church. They, everything that they learn, every, everything that I understood about the Bible, experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what the ministry was, how people are to relate to each other, it was all by imitation. And it was this nurturing that was going on. That's the role of the church. So what is the role of God the Father? What comes in here? God's desire is that he be able to impart identity to each one of his children and that they have a more profound, direct relationship with him. That those early stages give way to something deeper. I can remember the rites of passage that I took with my father, my earthly father, where my early memories of my mom and, and how my mom took care of me, and I was, whatever, I was number six out of seven kids, so I had older sisters that all, also played a little bit of that mothering role in my life. Anybody been in a situation like that from a family like that? Know what I'm talking about? And so they played that role. 
But I can remember certain rites of passage when I got into my adolescence where I spent time there. There are marks indelibly in my mind, in my spirit, where my father took me and my brother and we had outings and we had special encounters and times together to where I felt uh, a deeper level of security and a deeper level of assurance in my identity with my father and my identity as a member of the family. Now, what is the upshot of this when it comes to the church? What is, how, does the, how do these truths impact us as individual Christians? Well, let me tell you a little story. So, some of you are going to remember this, and some of you, maybe not as much, because you're younger. Um, but my mind goes back to the late 1980s. Now, uh, I graduated from college in 1986, and I um, moved to Kentucky, and I started working um, in association with this large Assembly of God church. The name of the church was Evangel Tabernacle. Um, it was the largest Assembly of God in Kentucky. It was about 3,000 members, that church. And they had just moved into a new building. Let me set the stage for you here. The building had been designed and built by a man named Roe Messner. Does anybody remember that name, Roe Messner? Roe Messner was the architect mastermind behind Jim Baker's Heritage USA. And when Jim Baker got thrown in prison and Tammy Faye divorced Jim Baker, she married Roe Messner. Okay? So Roe Messner was one of the biggest names in church architecture in the country at the time, and he designed our church. And uh, it was by the time I got there, it was, it was on the finishing stages. It was essentially built, a few minor things to be done, but it was br brand new. Shiny copper penny new, brand new building. And um, when they wanted somebody to dedicate the building, who did they call? They called Jimmy Swagger. So Jimmy Swagger came and he, he dedicated the building. So, I mean, I'm telling you, this is 1980s Assembly of God culture, smack dab. Is everybody get, getting the zone, getting the picture of what's going on here? Now, to make it even more gooey, I worked in the Christian TV station of the church. So I was running the tapes. I was watching uh, PTL. I was watching camp meeting. I was watching uh, all these TV preachers. I was watching them all. Eight hours a day. Glory be to God. Sometimes I turned down the volume and just read my Greek just to survive. So this was going on. Now, in 1988, lightning struck in what became known as the Jimmy Jimmy scandals. Jimmy Baker and Jimmy Swagger. Does anybody remember those out here? Okay, well, I want to tell you, you guys were 
light years away. We were in Kentucky, okay? So you're talking about, you can toss a stone down the Mississippi River, hit Baton Rouge, where Jimmy Swaggart was, and just cross the Appalachians right there and hit where Jimmy Baker was. I mean, we were in the Bible Belt, east of the Mississippi. This is where this, and I was running Christian TV station, all right, at an Assembly of God church that had built, been built by a guy from one of these messes and been dedicated by a guy from another one of the messes. So where I was right in the middle of it. And so I was, whether I wanted to or not, my hand was stuck on the pulse of this whole situation. And I want to tell you, it was like a nuclear bomb went off in the church world. And there were hundreds of people that fell away from the faith entirely. They washed out with God. They washed out. They lost their faith. You're talking about these people who had given thousands of dollars, who, who prayed in faith and worshipped big and danced and the whole thing, and, but they washed out. Why? Why did they wash out? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why in light of what I just shared. They never grew up in their faith. They never got past the stage of nurture. They never got past the stage of the church as mother. Now, don't get me wrong. The church is the mother, and that is a healthy role that she is to play. But I'm telling you, it's a, as beautiful a thing as it is to see a little child being carried and nurtured by mom. It is a very unhealthy picture to see a grown woman treating a 40-year-old man exactly like she would treat a three-year-old. Can I get an amen? Now, I'm, we're not, look, my mom's my mom. I was 25 and my mom needed to comfort me when I had a, a breakup. She comforted me, but she didn't treat me like I was three and I wouldn't accept it, okay? I mean, that's a very rare situation where you'd ever see that in the natural realm. But in the spiritual realm, I hate to tell you, it is extraordinarily common that you have people that have never, listen to me, this is the punchline. This is good. This is good preaching. There are people that have never learned to relate directly to God as Father. They've not gotten their identity directly from Him. They've not developed the spiritual muscle inside of themselves to feed themselves, to nurture themselves, to stand on their own two feet and put themselves in a position where they can be a real profound blessing to somebody else. Everything is mediated through the church. And when that, when you have such a scenario where people... The, it's not even entered their mind. They don't even know how to think any other way. All of their relationship with God, with the Bible, with worship, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, everything is through the church. They don't pray outside these four walls. They don't sing outside these four walls. They don't get into the Bible outside these four walls. Everything, their whole experience of the, of the divine is inside the walls of a church and in the context of a church service. 
And I want to tell you, as nurturing as the church is, that isn't healthy for the long term. Those are the first steps. God wants you. I could just end the sentence right there. God wants you. He wants you. He desires to be your father. He wants you to develop a personal, direct relationship with him. He wants you to get your sense of Christian identity from him so that when the earthquake comes, and it always does, you will stand. It's a cry in shame. And there's blood on people's hands for the disappointment and the scandal that they brought and the shame they brought to the name of the Lord. I'm not taking any of that away. I'm not, and, and, and they've paid and they've repented. God bless them. I got no stones to throw. But I'm telling you, as guilty as certain people are, and this, this is every single generation, right? Every generation. Every generation, there, there are disappointments in the church, there are disruptions in the church, there are shifts in the church, there are different things that change. The way church is done changes, it always changes. You know the only thing that doesn't change? Change. That's the only thing that doesn't change. There's always change. And there's just disruption. There's, sometimes, it's, it's, sometimes it looks innocent, but it's really a scandalous. Other times it looks scandalous, it's really it's innocent. The Apostle Paul talks about that. But the, the bottom line is, if your whole relationship with God is mediated through the church, you're building on sand. God wants us to have this direct relationship with him. Now I can tell you, I can, I can say this as a praise. Our church in Kentucky, of all the, the different things, and if you were to walk into it, you'd go, Ooh, yeah, this is a 1980s church in the buckle, buckle of the Bible belt. Just the architecture and the decor and the color and everything. Can you say mauve? Yeah, I thought you could. So, I mean, this is, but the one thing that that church had is had a pastor who prayed and he taught people how to pray. And of all the things that I learned from my first days as a Christian, I learned to pray and then pray and then pray and pray some more and get hungry for the word of God. And don't let your desires or your appetites for anything else in this world muscle out your appetite for prayer and the word of God. If you will pray and you'll read the word of God, it will lead you into deep waters. It will lead you into worship. It will help you understand and sift what's really worship, what isn't. What, what, what battles to fight, what battles not to fight. What, how do I deal with... Because people who understand who their father is, you say, now, people go, oh, well, does that mean that, you know, somebody who says, well, I don't need to go to church to meet with God. I can just do that at home. No, that's the thing. Our father tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're supposed to meet together because we need each other. And there are other people that need us. You know, when you're like, I don't know if I want to go to church you know, there's this going on or that going on. I'm not sure if, if, if that's going to benefit me. But what about the people that benefit from you? What about when you show up, they need to see your face. And they need to be encouraged by you. Do you know how much you 
encourage me. I need to see your face. You encourage me. Sometimes people say these, these little just side things to me, just like, hey, pastor, I'm praying for you or whatever. Those encourage me. Now, if that's true with me, I know it's true between y'all. Right? So we encourage each other. Here's the thing. The, the person, this seems, seems like a paradox given everything that I said, but the person who is most grounded in their, a healthy identity directly with the Father is the one who's most prone to continue coming to the church, no matter what goes through, happens in, in the church. It's the person who's not grounded, who gets disillusioned and is like, well, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. Where do we stand? What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. The church is the house of the living God. We're the house, not this building. We're the house of the living God. And as we come together, just two or three of us, but all of us together, there's a corporate presence. There's a corporate anointing. There's a corporate blessing that can only be had when we're together. And there's a function that he has for us. I want to encourage you today. This is, this is not one of those messages that's about, okay, well, let's do an altar call and let's fix this. This is something that each one of us has to grapple with directly with the Father. Amen? This is something each one of us needs to go to the Father and say, Lord, I want to know you. And I want to know that I am known by you. I want to have a deep, strong, powerful relationship directly with you. I want to draw my sense of identity from you and be established in you. God, I want you to nurture me, but I want you to leave the imprint of your name on my spirit. That I would be strong in you no matter what happens. No matter what happens. I want to invite Pastor Joseph to come. I want us just to bow our heads right now in prayer. Just right where we are. We're not going to come forward, but I just want us to bow in prayer. Hallelujah, Father. You know, I was praying earlier, and it struck me. The connection between these two truths. The connection between God as Father and how he's imparted through his name fatherhood to the human race. You know, I had a great father. He was kind. He was um, Christian. <laughs> was a believer. Taught me charity. Taught me the ways of God. But my father wasn't perfect, and my father had issues, like every father does. And when I was drawing near to God as a young Christian, some of my father's areas of imperfection impeded how I perceived my God as father. Because earthly fathers, even the best of them, are imperfect. But our God, our heavenly father, is perfect. Now, I don't know about your father, your relationship 
with your father. My father is dead and gone now, almost seven years. Others, your father might be next to you. But right now, I want you to draw near to your father, and I want to pray. I want us to pray that God would reveal himself powerfully, that he would confirm in you those parts of his nature that your earthly father imparted to you so well. And I want to pray that the areas in which your earthly father fell short of the mark, that God would reveal himself and that he would heal you. I don't care how old you are. If you're here on earth, God wants to reveal himself better and better to you. Now, Father, in Jesus' name right now, I thank you for every precious soul that I'm looking at. God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on each one. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be poured into every open heart, every receptive mind. God, that you would reveal yourself, that you are the great Father. You are the one who shows himself true and faithful. God, I pray that you would heal our hearts where our earthly father was so limited in his patience. You're unlimited in your patience. Where maybe our earthly father was conditional in his love and his approval. You're unconditional. Where maybe our father made his blessing to be something with strings attached. You give a blessing with no strings attached. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would bless us. Father, I thank you that I'm looking not just at believers, but I'm looking at disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the word spoken by your servant, Ron Brown, earlier this year, who said that you're strengthening the womb of this church, that this church is to be a mother in this community. And Father, the children are going to come forth, spiritual children are going to come forth because you're strengthening us. Because each of us have a unique, powerful, direct link with our Heavenly Father. Our feet are firmly planted and you're teaching us who you are for us, that we would know you and that we're known by you. Father, we thank you. Let's all stand.